Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Richard Harris. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Truth and Liberty live call-in show. It's so great to have you with us today on this Monday afternoon. I'm Richard Harris, and we have a couple of really amazing guests with us on today's show. Uh, I'm going to introduce them in just a second. They're actually live here with me in studio. Before we do that, though, just wanted to uh, make sure and remind you guys about a few things as we get started here. First, remember, this is our live call-in show. You can participate live with us on the air here. We'd love to have you join in. Just call the number that's on your screen there and uh, we'll do our very best to get to your call. Also wanted to mention that Andrew Womack uh, will be speaking at E.W. Jackson's church, The Stand in Chesapeake, Virginia uh, for the, uh, excuse me, his church is called The Called Church and then his organization is called Stand, Stand for America. And they're going to have a combined service on January 27th. So his church is located at 700 Conference Center Drive in Chesapeake. If you live in that uh, vicinity, you want to be sure to check that out. You can find information on thecalled.org or standamerica.us. So uh, if you live in that area, go out and, and support Andrew, hear his ministry and, and EWs, you'll be blessed. Also coming up here on February 8th and 9th at Karis Bible College, Truth and Liberty and Karis are really honored to be able to host Flashpoint. So Flashpoint Live, you know, the, the program with Gene Bailey and all the amazing guests that he has. Uh, they're going to be live on campus at Karis Bible College in Woodland Park, Colorado on February 8th and 9th. And you can find out more about that on awmi.net and also on truthandliberty.net. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time, Thursday evening, all day Friday, and then Friday evening uh, as Gene Bailey is going to be hosting an amazing event with numerous guests, including Lance Wall now, uh, uh, Hank Kuhneman, I think, and several others. We're still looking at the lineup, but uh, be sure to register and uh, show up for that incredible event at Karis Bible College. Hey, listen, if you haven't checked out the Truth and Liberty website, you need to do that. Did you know that we have a 24-7 live news feed on our site where you can get caught up on all of today's news? We also have a resource center with hundreds of links uh, to help you be equipped and stand for truth in the public square. Everything from how to run uh, for office to the latest news and information about the pro-life movement and everything else. So be sure to check that out today. Well, let me introduce our guests for today. I'm super excited to have former Congressman Marlon uh, um, Marlon Stutzman and his wife Christy with us today. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here Thanks with you. I, I just want to share with the folks a little bit about you. Marlon, you are a former what three-term congressman, I think, from the state of Indiana, and you're running again for the third district there. Your, your bio says you're a fourth-generation farmer. We had lunch today, and you were telling me all about your businesses. And I, reading your bio, you've got even more. I don't know how you guys do all this, but let me just share with folks your managing partner at the Stutzman Group, co-owner of Show Hauler RV, past president of Wishbone Medical, 
Uh, you guys are co-owners of Stutzman Brothers Meats, the barns at Napanee. I hope I said that right. That's right, yeah. The Round Barn Theater and Schoenbrook Farm. Did I get all that? Yeah, that's, that's right. awesome. Yeah, and somehow right. he's finding time to run for Congress. <laughs> and Christy, you are an author, a playwright. You've got a book out. It's called The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. What a fascinating name. I can't wait to get into that with you. And you're a former teacher and also both of you served in the Indiana legislature. Um, uh, they say you can't do it all, but maybe you guys have proven otherwise. Uh, no, <laughs> a lot of teamwork <laughs> and a lot of depending on each other. So. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. I, I want to just start um, with you, Marlon, and then we'll come back to Christy. Um, so you served in the United States House of Representatives 2010 to 2017, uh, representing again the third district there. Now that time period was, you know, Barack Obama was president. I think the Senate was mostly Democrat. Maybe they flip-flopped yeah, flip twice. Yeah, flip-flopped, yep. Mm -hmm. And the House though was Republican. Uh, during your time there. So just uh, you, you re resigned that seat in order to run for Senate, U.S. Senate. Correct. But that didn't work out. It didn't. Okay, yeah. that's all right. That's how politics is. That's right. right? It doesn't mean... <laughs> it's part of God's plan. Yeah. And, but now you're running again. So tell us, why are you running for Congress again? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And, you know, it's interesting as I talk to friends and former colleagues uh, who are either in Congress or out of Congress, they all say, you know, why are you doing this? Um, but, you know, as, uh, as we had the opportunity to serve, Christy and I first got involved in politics, and, and she'll touch on this a little bit, and how to get involved today. Uh, back in 2001, it was 9-11. Our youngest, or, I'm sorry, our oldest son, Peyton, was three weeks old, and 9-11 happened, and it just it changed our lives, like it did, it changed America. Mm -hmm. And so uh, while we were focused on, I was focused on building our farming operation, a trucking operation, Christy was gonna write music and write books and things like that. Um, we just knew that we had to get involved somehow. And so we started getting involved in our local uh, political party there. And it was just, uh, to us, we were intimidated, but then we soon found out there wasn't a reason to. Mm. Uh, by just showing up and being um, available, you could get involved. And so I was elected uh, at the age of 26 as a state legislator, state representative in Indiana, and then eventually in the state Senate. And then 2010, when Tea Party movement and you know we had Obamacare being pushed on the American people, uh, we had the opportunity to run for the U.S. Senate. No one was really stepping up to run f uh, against Evan Bayh at the time. And so um, I decided I was gonna go for it. And uh, we did, and even though we lost that particular race, we really set ourselves up. And then our congressman there in Northeast Indiana stepped down for personal reasons. And so I was able to run in a caucus. 16 other people ran and, and um, we won on the, um, on the second ballot. And so it was a, uh, God just opened those doors. And that's one of the things that Christy and I both know that as we follow God's leading in our lives, he takes us places we never expected. You know, I'm a farm boy from Indiana, so I never expected to be in the, the halls of Congress, serving in Congress. You know, I think that's how our founders intended it though, right? I do. Is yeah. for everyday Americans to serve in the house. It's yeah. called the people's house, mm -hmm. you know, um, Davy Crockett, right? I yeah. mean, you know, so, uh, a farmer running for Congress ought not to be an unusual thing. Yeah. I think things have gotten so expensive now, though, that that uh, it's hard sometimes for just an average citizen oh. to uh, 
to finance a campaign. It is, and that's you know one of the reasons that um, we decided to run again is because you know after 2016, I ran for the U.S. Senate, was unsuccessful. Uh, politics gets to be a dirty business, and I think that's why a lot of people stay out of it because they don't want to be part of that dirty mess. But we have to. We have mm -hmm. to be engaged. And then, um, uh, so our boys are now 22 and almost 18. Uh, Peyton is a student at Liberty University and Preston is graduating from high school this year. And so he's gonna be off to college next year. And after coming, you know, coming back home to the private sector and growing our family businesses, uh, we, we bought this dinner theater. Christy comes from a theater background, her family. Uh, well, she grew up in a theater and uh, from South Carolina, and so I always wanted to have a farm-to-table restaurant, grow the food on the farm, take it to the restaurant, serve people, and, and that's, I just think food brings people together. And so uh, we had this idyllic view of uh, dinner theater. Well, we bought it February of 2020. Uh -huh. uh, we hadn't even heard of this virus, this COVID no, virus, no, nothing. No one had. Yeah, and yeah. so it's been, a, it's been a real challenge, but you know, with a team, um, we have found success and we're getting things back on track. But between the response of the government and some of the stories I'll share with you later of how uh, regulations were implemented to then inflation, uh, the, you know, the difficulty of finding enough help to work in the restaurant. By the time it got to uh, our, our Congressman Jim Banks is running for the U.S. Senate seat in Indiana. Uh, by the time he announced that he was going to run for the Senate and leave the seat open, I just told Christy, I said, I have to run. Mm -hmm. I, the experiences that we've had in business over the past eight years have really shown me again the impact, the negative impact that government can have on small businesses and which affects families. I mean, we employ about 300 people um, altogether through our, throughout our businesses. And when businesses are forced to um, you know, close or they're, you know, they're struggling financially, it doesn't always, it doesn't just affect us, it affects our employees and right. our team, uh, teammates. And so that's where, to me, I felt like I had to go back and, and at least try and to fight to uh, get America back on track and also to protect the, the fundamental Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian values that our country was founded upon. There's such an attack on those. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's come back to your 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 run for Congress later in the show, uh, but you've said a lot of interesting stuff here, so I wanna to talk to Christy for a second. Yeah. What's this about a theater background? I think you were sharing <laughs> with me at lunch that you were, you were, your dad actually had a theater where you grew up, right. and so it's kind of in your blood. Right, for sure. He was a playwright and a composer mm -hmm. and a preacher, actually. Oh, wow. So there was a good, like a unique combination there too, uh, growing up with a, a father who was into the fine arts, but also preaching the word. Mm -hmm. uh, he made sure that we knew America's Judeo-Christian founding and, and all that, so I'm so thankful for that. But yes, I grew up in fine arts, really, and uh, very grounded in the word of God and dedicated to using my talents for his honor and his glory mm -hmm. and to spread his word around the world. Um, and so I've always been passionate about that, but uh, with the theater now that we have purchased and that we have been 
running for the last four years uh, through COVID and through all the challenges that that faced with whether it was, you know, entertainment, restaurant, tourism. I mean, it was triple hit during that time. Um, you find as a creative, that's when you become more creative. You mm -hmm. find different ways to overcome and to uh, create new things. And so we took the opportunity to start writing our own productions and producing them. And uh, so I've written uh, three musicals, working on my fourth and have a fifth in the, in the works. So um, we're trying to provide uplifting, wholesome, but excellent uh, entertainment for people uh, that, that teaches good morals and good values and is based on biblical principles. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So one of those plays that you guys, uh, that you're behind, written, produced, I think is probably the right way to say it, is called, um, help me with it, it's the one about the heart. When calls the heart. <laughs> when yeah. calls the heart. You're not a heart. I'm not a Hallmark guy, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, when calls the heart. Right. The musical. The musical. Okay, I get yes, it. So yes. how did you acquire that, the rights to for that? And yeah. what's that show like? And how can people Well, our production that? company actually purchased the right, the stage rights to the title okay. from the publisher. Um, and we were actually helped with that by the producer of the TV show. Okay. Uh, he's a good friend of ours. And so I reached out to him and I said, you know, we'd like to produce some live stage musicals. And this is a title we'd like to get. Could you help us? And he did. He put us in touch with the right people. And so we were able to buy two titles, uh, When Calls the Heart and also Love Comes Softly by the same author, uh, both of which are just beautiful stories. Um, and it's been a joy to put them on stage and to write music and to uh, just kind of, you know, take the audience along for a beautiful story. Well, and and uh, these uh, the other ones I wanted to mention, I jotted down before the show, a musical Christmas Carol. Right. So you're taking the classic Dickens, Dickens uh, yes. story, uh, Christmas Carol, and you've put it to music right. and song. And then you've also got uh, Land That I Love, mm -hmm. which you wrote that one, right? Right. And that one uh, is really about the history of Indiana. And oh, really? Okay. It's uh, very kind of patriotic at the end. There's a lot of patriotism there, but it's, it's also uh, just a lot of fun about what makes Indiana unique and you know how we came to be the, the Hoosier state and mm -hmm. all the unique things about our state. Okay, so I gotta ask you, we didn't rehearse this guy, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> David Barton talks about um, the origin of the name Hoosiers. Yeah. <laughs> so most people are stunned to find out that the name actually comes from a black evangelist in uh, the Second Great Awakening named Harry Hoosier. Did you guys really? know that? Now, no. See, there's a lot of folklore stories out there, yeah. so I'd like to hear this one, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> well Harry Hoosier was um, a young black man who got saved in a camp meeting. I can't remember who the minister was in the Second Great Awakening. Wow. And, uh, and basically went out west at the time. Uh-huh. And... Uh, ended up in Indiana going around with, you know, the farmers and loggers oh, yeah. and all the rough characters the pioneers. Yeah, <laughs> where no one else wanted to go. And he was extremely effective, memorized vast portions of the Bible. He wow. couldn't read. Uh, he would just memorize scripture, was extremely effective at planting churches and winning the lost. And, oh, that's, and that's where the name Hoosier came from. Oh, that's According that's to David Barton, well, I'm not going to question David, David Barton. Barton. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, David, you email me if I got that wrong. You let me know. Yeah, well, and we're also home to Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday's yes. there Grace in Winona Lake in uh, Northeast Indiana. Yeah, okay. Grace College is is there. So yeah, I didn't know got that. Got a neat history. My, uh, I, I think this is true. This is all just trivia. But my dad's uh, grandfather came from um, Terre Haute. Oh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. lots of connections. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, and so, uh, but another little fun tidbit is you guys uh, bought 
a, uh, an old Amish round barn there in your local area. Tell us about that. I wish we had a picture of it because it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So we're situated where Fort Wayne is, yeah. is uh, the town that most people would know where, that we're close to. And so between Fort Wayne and South Bend is a large Amish community. We got, uh, there's several towns there, Shipshawana, Middlebury, and Napanee, and that's where Amish Acres was, um, it had been there for 60 some years. They celebrated their 60th anniversary when, just before we bought it. And uh, on the property was a collection of old Indiana barns that the family had moved to that particular property. And so one of them was the kind of the, in the center of the property that was showcased uh, was a round barn and that's the, where the theater's at. And there's, there's 400 seats in the, the round barn theater. And uh, then on the attached is a, uh, backstage and the uh, the operations of the theater and so that's been a neat um, uh, experience for us and it's I actually took Christy to the Round Barn Theater the night that I proposed to her watched Annie get your gun and so oh, is that right? it does even have a little bit of personal um, sentimental it's got some sentimental uh, value to us oh, that's, that's that. just so cool so okay Christy you've written a book and as I as we mentioned earlier it's called the spiritual price of political silence I think that's a fascinating name um, and I could I could venture to guess a little bit about what might be in there but it's I haven't read it yet I apologize but my understanding is that um, you're talking about the the current crisis that we're in as a nation right. how we got here and what people can do to make a difference in, in helping America get back to who we really are um, tell me about this idea this crisis how did we get here what are your, what are your thoughts on that well having been in politics and having you know served on in the legislature and uh, spoken to different groups um, I found a lot of questions about that. Where, how did this happen? You know, where is this coming from? And, mm -hmm. and what do we do about it? How do, I get, how do I get involved? And so that kind of was, you know, the motivation for writing the book, just kind of share with people um, the history of America. And I really think we need a refresher course. And that's why I'm so thankful for you and for others out there like David Barton, who are really, you know, putting that out there and allowing people to find the truth about our founding. But so there's a little refresher course on our Judeo-Christian founding. Um, and there's quotes, you know, from all kinds of people that were involved with that. You know, um, when, uh, when there was the, the um, at, at Yorktown, when uh, Cornwallis finally, you know, surrendered, uh, the, the band played the world turned upside down, a mm -hmm. song that was pretty common back then, but they played that. And I had to think as I was doing this deep dive study that, you know, they really did flip the script on nice. the entire world. Yeah. Uh, they changed the dynamic, they changed the whole view of man's freedoms, where they come from, where our liberties come from, they come from God. Right. And that had never been like solidly established uh, or had a government built upon that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they did. And so I'm finding that as people read the book, they're thanking me first of all for for the refresher course on mm -hmm. that. Uh, then second of all, it gets into um, how we were targeted about a century ago by cultural Marxists. Uh, they're definitely humanists, but they came over here from the critical theory school in Germany. Uh, and really, in their after reading their writings, uh, it's amazing how unified they were uh, when they were planning to come here to target our children. They were going to target mm -hmm. the educational system. And they started in the universities. Mm -hmm. And then now it's down all the way to the kindergarten. But it's been several generations uh, that have been misled, misinformed. They have taken over, you know, different aspects of education to the point where uh, now we're seeing the results in our classrooms. And I think, you know, during COVID when parents 
I kind of were awakened to this teaching in the classroom and what their kids were being taught. Uh, it was really almost like we had the heat turned up on us and mm -hmm. we thought, what is going on and yeah. where did this come from? So uh, we definitely were targeted, but also I think there was a falling away from an understanding of who we were as a people yes. who always, always have been. I think America needs to stop listening to who we should be in the world and remember who we are and we, who we have been mm -hmm. and who we should continue to be. Um, so the book addresses that in mm -hmm. specific. And then at the end, it gives a play-by-play, -play, like point-by-point -point hand handbook Mm -hmm. on how to get involved from every level. Mm -hmm. And it talks about, you know, like attending a school board meeting, what you can expect and going to a commissioner's meeting or running for city council or getting involved in a campaign. I mean, even down to little things like walking in a parade, you know, or providing um, a, a, a prize for, you know, like the a, a local dinner or something. You know, I mean, there's little things that you can do. I had a lady that provided, um, she made crafts, beautiful crafts. Mm -hmm. And I asked her to give them to us for the campaign as an in-kind donation, as a door prize, you know, at the different dinners that we would go to. Well, that's something I couldn't do that she contributed. And it was a beautiful thing. But there's so many things that you can do. And the other thing that I share with people is that you can actually get to know your elected officials easier than you think. It's not as overwhelming as you think, especially when you go and sit through a meeting. Uh, I remember looking in, you know, at the how things were run and thinking, well, I've been through a business meeting like this before. That's not that you know, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I could hand, probably handle this level. Uh, so you'll find that you're, you're bringing to the table knowledge and experience that uh, is actually practical. Um, and so it's just a kind of step-by-step process on how to get involved, how to lobby your legislator. Um, and you are the boss. And so yeah. when you walk in the door, you know, they need to listen. And yeah. not just that, but how to approach them as a Christian as well. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's election year again, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for the average American out there, though, who is, um, you know, looking at what's happening to our country and is concerned and wants to make a difference, you know, maybe they vote every two years or four years or whatever. But beyond that, what can the average person do? Do you have like maybe three things you could throw out there that just the average person could do right away to start getting involved? Um, I think it's, you know, it's very easy to get involved, but it's kind of hard to know where to start. Mm -hmm. And so one of the starting places I would encourage people to do is just to go online, look at the people that are running, look at their websites. I mean, we have the beauty of the internet right now. So that's, the be that's one of the beauties is that you can look at their website and find out where they stand, but then also find out where they're gonna do town halls or receptions or whatever, and go see them in person. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times assessing someone in person goes a lot further than just reading their talking points on the website. Um, also reach out to their campaign staff and uh, try to develop a relationship there. Um, once you develop a relationship, it's amazing how you can keep them accountable if they're elected. Uh, the other thing I would encourage people to do is to vet them early. Um, I say, I, I talk about this in the book, how important it is, even on the local level, which I call the front lines, um, because you're dealing with huge budgets on school boards and city councils, uh, but also you're dealing with your neighbors calling you saying, my trash wasn't picked up, you know, I need help with that. So you're, you really are the front lines of, uh, of politics and civic duty. But um, one thing that you can do uh, to hold them accountable is to just keep track of you know, them as they go through the process, but as you vet them in the beginning, make sure that they have your same worldview. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard so many people say, 
Well, they're just running for school board, so they're not going to deal with this issue. Well, right. if they run for school board and they win, and they're there for several years, mm. they've been on the ballot, they have name recognition, they're probably going to run for something else. That's right. And once they run for the next office, it's harder to get to go against them because they have the power of incumbency, so people are familiar with their name. Well, you know, it, yeah, like a uh, county commissioner probably not going to vote on abortion rights very often, right? Right. right. Uh, or vote on Israel. Mm -hmm. But I think there's two issues above everything else that where someone stands on those issues will tell you pretty much how they would vote on everything else. Exactly. And that's going to be abortion mm -hmm. and Israel. Yeah. Do, you, do you find that to be true? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, you look at Congress and I mean, those were um, Israel when I was there was actually one of the most unifying issues for the most part. Now, some of that's changed yeah. with the squad and some of the others that are, are now being elected to Congress. But, uh, but definitely the, the abortion issue, that's almost dividing the parties, almost down to a member. Um, there were several Democrats who were pro-life that have been beaten in primaries because they weren't pro-abortion. And so the Democrat Party has pretty much cleaned out every pro-life a member. And so uh, those two issues there, it, it's about life and it's about the relationship in the biblical worldview that God has uh, with yeah. his people of Israel. And I think when mm -hmm. it's easier, when it's easier at the local level to vet them and talk to them, then you're going to have a relationship with them as they go through the process and you'll be able yeah. to hold them accountable a lot easier. You know, in the, uh, just uh, be, to be totally candid, you know, in the presidential race on the Republican side, um, I won't say who it is, but but someone close to me was saying, "Boy, I sure do like Vivek, uh, you know, Ramaswamy." And and I was like, "You know, he's saying a lot of good stuff. I'll give you that, but he is he is not a Christian." I said, "And so you have to be careful." He's talking about God. Every campaign stop, he's talking about God, but it's not the God of the Bible. And I said, "They, this is not a slam on him or on his faith, but I'm saying if you want." To look at his worldview, you're going to have to go deeper because yeah. this it's just political rhetoric until you know what he really believes. Well, and that's why it's important. You know, he's a newcomer to politics. Right. And so getting to know how is he going to vote, how is he going to stand on particular issues is really important. I mean, I remember the first time we saw Barack Obama speak, uh, I think it was at the 2006, somewhere in there, 2004 convention. convention. And Christy and I looked at each other and like, watch out, watch that out. guy yeah, is uh, is uh, is going to be up and coming fast in the Democrat ranks. And he sure enough was. And the fact that he beat the Clinton machine shows you how powerful a uh, coalition he put together. But you have to be careful too. And that's why I say, you know, at the local level, it's easier to vet them there and then keep them accountable as they move up. Because uh, once they get to a certain level, um, they can pull and they can say the right things and they can sound so good. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. it's harder to find out what they where they really. Well, stand. and you know, getting involved at the local level, you, you're going to have so much more impact and yeah. influence than you are, say, in national elections. And this is part of the problem, right? That so many Christians they they kind of wake up a little bit and start paying attention sort of about July right. of the <laughs> presidential election year, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, and they think that everything depends on the president. But in reality, uh, it's at the local level where day-to-day, -day, you know, decisions are made, where uh, future office holders are groomed and prepared right. and get experience. It's where your school boards, you know, and, and all this other things. So getting involved locally is just super important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, there's a subject that's 
coming up more and more in the news. I wrote an article about it uh, recently, but it's Christian nationalism. And we have, a, we have about a minute and 30 left before our first break. But I, so I want to just go ahead and tee this up. When we come back, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. I know it's not even in our, in our notes for today, but it's, it's a big deal. We've got, there's uh, going to be a, a presentation here in Little Old Woodland Park at the library, Woodland Park, Colorado, <laughs> uh, you know, about Christian nationalism and keeping those Christians, you know, from, from having influence. But uh, biblical worldview is super important, isn't mm. it? It is, yeah. absolutely. And I remember, you know, growing up, I mean, we always considered America to be a Christian nation. And, uh, and it was really under uh, Barack Obama that that dialogue started to shift. Yes. Because he, he would not recognize America as a, as a Christian nation. I, I think he, he referred to it in the past tense. He said America used to be a Christian right. nation. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I think right. the term Christian nationalism too is also being used against Christians. There's oh, a totally. negative connotation. Oh no, absolutely. Uh, with yeah. that, yeah. So it's it's very dangerous how they're trying to start that narrative. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, folks, we're um, you're watching the Truth and Liberty live call-in show, and uh, I'm Richard Harris. My guests today are um, former Congressman uh, Marlin and uh, his wife Christy Stutzman from Indiana, and we're just having a great conversation here. Remember, this is a call-in show. We'd love to hear from you today. The number's on the top uh, right-hand portion of your screen there, 719-619-2341. And uh, whatever is on your mind, we'd love to hear from you today. We're going to be diving into the issues a little bit more in the next segment of the show. But I wanted to remind everyone as well about the live um, uh, prayer line that Andrew has. You can call in, and Andrew has a room full of Spirit-filled, Word of God trained prayer ministers who are uh, standing by to take your call. And that number is 719-635-1111. All right, we're going to take just a short break, about 90 seconds, uh, share some information with you, and we'll be right back. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and become a member today. Have you been praying about how to make your business your mission field? GospelTruth.tv Business features leadership and financial stewardship training from industry experts. Learn the next steps to building wealth and using it to grow God's kingdom. Tune in Saturdays to GospelTruth.tv Business and watch anytime with GospelTruth.tv Premium. Visit GospelTruth.tv today for biblical teaching you can trust. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. All right, well, we're back now uh, at the Truth and Liberty Live call-in show with former Congressman Marlon Stutzman and his wife, uh, Christy Stutzman. And they, these people are just amazing. I, I don't know, I really mean that, how you guys have done everything you've accomplished, but it really is impressive. And we were, we were talking in the last segment about a lot of things, 
Um, biblical worldview and Christian nationalism is sort of what we left off on. And I want to pick up again on this Christian nationalism idea. Um, uh, you mentioned on during the break, we were off the air, but um, uh, the old Clinton advisor, uh, James Carville, re on a recent, uh, I think he was on a late night talk show host or talk show. And uh, he said that uh, Christian nationalists are more dangerous than um, than Hamas or than, than yeah. Islamic terrorism, yeah. terrorists. Yeah. Uh, an amazing idea. It, to me, it, it shows, uh, first off, we, I mean, you got to talk about what do they mean when they say Christian nationalism? This is a leftist uh, label. It's a, it's a really a slur. I believe it's a bigoted slur. Yeah. It's religious yeah. bigotry. Um, Marlon, what's your understanding of, of what they're saying here when they call us Christian nationalists? Yeah, well, I think they really are trying to set up a narrative. Uh, in, you know, we, we really are in a fight between good and evil in mm -hmm. politics. I mean, and I know that a lot of people don't want to be involved in politics because of that, but we have to be. I mean, you know, if we don't get involved, evil will win, evil will triumph. And you look at what's happening out in our libraries across the country mm -hmm. and the evilness that's in books and, you know, these, these story hours and where we have men dressing up in drag and, you know, reading to young children and all these, things that are going on, you know, uh, men and girls sports, things like this. It's just, it's contrary to what, first of all, it's contrary to common sense, but it's also contrary to God's word. And America is founded, was founded on Christian Judeo principles. It was founded on God's word. There's so many um, points that you can look at and, and know that our founding fathers built the structure of our government on biblical principles. And so I think this is just an attack on uh, Christianity. I think it's, it's an attack on Judeo-Christian principles. Uh, it's a political ploy. It's a political agenda to try to tamper down our voice. Uh, they don't want us to be talking about the importance of a family. One of the things that I believe with all my heart is the importance of fathers in the family. Yes. Statistics show that when a father is in the family, active in the family, the, um, you know, the success of the children, the success of the family, the success of, uh, of, of the economics uh, all proves out to be much higher than uh, whenever the father's not involved. And the attack from the left on the family has gone right after the very core and the very foundation of America. And so I think that, you know, uh, Mr. Carville, and I think we're gonna continue to hear this term more and more, they're gonna try to stick us in this category of, of um, you know, Christian nationalists that went back to the days of, of fascism and Hitler, and that's the narrative that they're going to build, especially with whom, um, you know, most likely uh, Donald Trump's going to be our uh, Republican nominee. And they, uh, I, I, I never expected them to go after them with such um, animosity that I, that they do. But he's a strong leader, and so they're going to try to stick him in that category. Uh, and I think Christian nationalism is one of those that they can use with the general public when. Most of the general public doesn't even know what that means, but they're going to build a definition around it that points to us as wanting us to, we want to take their rights away. We want to take, you know, their freedoms away. We want to basically, you know, pound them over the head with a Bible and force them to live that way. I don't believe that at all. I believe, yeah. you know, in so many other principles. Well, yeah, and this, this, the word nationalism, it seems like they're trying to 
conjure up images of Nazi Germany, right. yes. you know, national fascism and stuff like exactly. that, yeah. trying to claim that Christians want to oppress everybody. Right. But we were talking, you know, earlier about, you know, you mentioned um, the world turned upside down, the American experience, what the American Revolution really was. Right. If you look at what our founding fathers said, you have, for example, John Jay, first uh, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, he said that Christians have the right and duty mm -hmm. to prefer Christians for their rulers. Right. Yeah. Isn't that an incredible statement? And to say such a thing today would be like, <gasps> <Yeah>. <gasps> what? You know, yeah. and, and uh, Patrick Henry, you know, uh, give me liberty or give me death. He, he said that uh, America was not founded by religionists, but by Christians. Mm -hmm. And, and it was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we could pull up, a, um, you know, so much historical evidence for this fact, but the, the, the Declaration of Independence is based on biblical values. The Constitution is, is a thoroughly Christian document, even though it doesn't mention Jesus. You know, the, the, the ideas in it are, are rooted in the Bible. So, I mean, uh, what do you think about this, Christian? Well, the Christian nationalist, right? you know, word that they're trying to, a term that they're trying to put on us, um, is definitely more of the same. So they have continually tried to intimidate us into silence. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there is a price that we're paying for having been politically silent for so long because the church, there was a there was a break in the church around the turn of the century where uh, half the church decided to go with the progressive type leaning, uh, more liberal thought now, of which government. Which century answering. are we talking about? Uh, it was right around 1800. Eight, okay. Yeah. All right. So, and then the other side decided, no, I'm going to wash my hands of it. We're just going to focus on our mission. And really in America, we have a unique opportunity here in a little window in the history of the world to where, you know, we have a different, uh, I guess, birthright. Mm -hmm. and, and duty. Uh, so our birthright as Americans, we are given freedom, right? We are born yeah. into this be beautiful free country. But with that comes great responsibility and, gra and there's duty along with it mm -hmm. to preserve it for the next generation. Um, and so we've been intimidated into silence. And that silence, as, as all of a sudden, when they see us be becoming more bold about our faith, they can't have that. The mm -hmm. other side, and it is a, it's a battle against between good and evil. Mm -hmm. um, and it is gonna, gonna be a spiritual battle moving forward just like it always has been. But I think we have to be armed with the truth and we have to be determined to be bold. Uh, I was reading the history of my family um, and uh, learning a lot about them in my ancestry research. And my uh, seven times great grandmother was a little Quaker farm lady. Mm -hmm. And she had come to this country for religious freedom. And most of the immigrants at that point ha had come here for that. Mm -hmm. uh, they had been, you know, uh, just persecuted all over. And so they came here seeking that. And she lived during the American Revolution. Wow. And so her first cousin was General Anthony Wayne. And he okay. asked to encamp on her farm during the winter of Valley Forge to be closer to George Washington and his troops. So she allowed him to camp on her property, took care of the soldiers, ministered to them, took care of the the, uh, the uh, injured and the, and the ill. And uh, was just a wonderful lady. And uh, on her deathbed, this little Quaker lady, her last words, she sat up at her, at her deathbed and she looked at her family and she said, be valiant for truth. Mm. And as I read that, I thought, you know, that's what we need today. And what else should we be valiant for but truth? That's a war term. That's arise, O church of God, and put your armor on. It was meant to be worn and used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amen. And so, um, Christy, one of the other things that I know is on your heart is the importance of 
Christians getting involved in what we call here at Truth and Liberty the Seven Mountains of right. Cultural Influence. Basically, it's a metaphor, <laughs> you know, that describes different areas of influence in culture and in society. And um, t tell me how you kind of came to see that as uh, uh, an important thing, and why is that such a burden on your heart? I'm just so thankful for for those seven mountains that you call them, and and just the whole the. Um, it's like a whole approach to life. Um, it's not relegating it to just the ministry of, you know, inside the church. It is outside the church. It's everywhere you go. It's being salt and light wherever you go. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely love that because that allows everyone with different gifts and abilities to be full time, you know, serving the Lord yeah. uh, in every way that possible, including, you know, the fine arts, which is close to my heart. Um, so I think that's such a such a um, holistic approach uh, to affecting the culture. And, you know, um, one thing that we've got to look at as Christians is we really need to take a long look in the mirror and say, okay, what is uh, the condition of my heart? What is the culture of my heart? And what is the culture I'm creating in my home? And what is the culture I'm creating in my community? Um, and it needs to start with us. And if we get our house in order, um, then we can be, you know, salt and light around the world. Um, my husband and I took several uh, congressional delegation trips to different countries. And uh, it was interesting to hear people's perspective of America. Mm -hmm. uh, and we learned a lot uh, in, on those trips. And one of the trips we went to the Mount of Beatitudes. And we had a guide who uh, was a citizen of Israel. He was Jewish by birth, but he told us he was not religious at all. Uh, most of us in the group were um, you know, part of Bible studies and prayer groups and stuff on Capitol Hill. And we knew each other. And so when we got to the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, we read Matthew 5. My husband read it. And it was such a blessing. There's a lot of tears there, you know, realizing you're standing yeah, right beautiful. there. <laughs> and uh, he, he stopped us and he said, could you read verses 15 and 16? So Marlon went back and he read, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, where shall it be salted? Mm -hmm. And then he said, uh, read, you're the light of the world. And the guide stopped him and he said, I just, I just want you to know that as a citizen of Israel, I believe that you have done this thing that Jesus said. Hmm. You've been a light to the world. Mm -hmm. He said, I want to thank America for that. Yeah. He said, but I want to ask you, please, please don't stop. Yeah. If you stop, I don't know who's going to take your place. And it really made me realize that, first of all, they're watching. The world is watching. Right. The foundations are crumbling. And they're, they're hoping. They're hoping that we continue to lead. Yeah. No, that's, that's very sobering, isn't it? Well, it kind of ties back in a little bit to what we were, we were talking about earlier about the importance of getting involved. And, um, uh, you know, you guys have spent... Um, I don't know how long it would be, what, the last 20 years, 20 years uh, yeah. getting involved and, and making a real difference, making an impact. Um, how is it, why, why are, um, why, how is it that Christians and churches and pastors have bought into this idea that we're not supposed to be involved, uh, whether it's politics or anything else. I remember in the, um, when I really, when the Lord first got a hold of me, I, I went to a church that you know, all I knew was I was told they they believe the whole Bible, you know, and God does miracles and all this stuff there. And I was like, okay, let's go, right? <laughs> um, and I'm not critical of it, but but I remember hearing sort of an unspoken message that unless you are in the pulpit ministry, you're not really in the ministry. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's wrong, right? That's yeah. not biblical, is it? I think mm -hmm. so. I, I mean, you know, I grew up in a Mennonite home, and so we weren't involved in politics. Now, 
you know, growing up on a farm, there's only so many things you can do in a tractor going back and forth in a field. So I listened to Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, my my parents are very politically active as well and very supportive. And uh, but, you know, that was one of the things that I saw uh, was how well it was during the during Desert Storm. I was going to a Christian uh, a Nazarene school in um, back home and the National Guard was leaving to go over to Kuwait. And, and I remember my dad, and you know, my dad was just simply you know, following uh, the teachings of our church, but uh, he said, you know, I don't want you, you know, kids to go to the parade that was gonna be seeing off the National Guard unit. And I just, at that time, and I talked to my dad about it, I said, you know, here they are going off to fight for our freedom. You know, at least we should go support them. And, and he agreed with that. And um, even though you know, that was a, a kind of a turning point in my life, Okay, so we weren't involved in joining the military and we weren't involved in politics. One of the things that my grandfather did and taught me uh, as a Mennonite lay uh, individual in the church, he was part of Mennonite disaster relief. So even though it's not political, and this is one thing I you know, would want you know, your audience to know is, okay, maybe you can't find a way into politics, but you can find a way to serve in the church. Yeah. And that's where- Or in the community. Or in the community, yeah. you know, by helping uh, you know, the, the widow lady down the road that needs assistance or by helping the single mom that has a couple of boys that, uh, you know, needs help getting them to school. Because mm -hmm. I tell you, if those kids don't have help, mm. you know, and they fall into the wrong spot, you know, it's going to create another generation of people that are going to look to the government. And, and so I think that the three institutions that God created are the family, the church, and the government. Mm -hmm. And in the foundation should be built on the family, then the church, and then the government. And then the government's gonna be the smallest, you know, of those yeah. three, as I look at it in a triangle. And, uh, but, uh, it, so each one of them has to be in particular order. But, but I do, you know, would encourage people to find a way to get involved in politics. But if you don't, you know, find, a, be active in the church. Mm -hmm. And be, uh, salt, and light be salt and light wherever you are. Yeah. yeah, well, and to finish that scripture that you're referring to in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world let your light shine right. before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. So I ask people, um, was the abolition of slavery a good work? Hmm. Hmm. Was, the, uh, yeah. was the abolition of child labor a good, good work? work right? yeah. Are yeah. laws protecting minors from abuse good work? Mm -hmm. yeah. well, all, and many other laws, are they not good works? Serving in the military to keep people free, is that a good work? There are, right. and, and so the Bible even says in Romans chapter 13 that the king and his ministers, it says he is a minister of God to thee for good. good. Yeah. Yep. So how can we do good works if we carve out this super important segment of society, but but anything else too. Writing plays that give glory to God and right. uphold God's standards for family and, and how to treat one another. Mm -hmm. Whatever the case may be, we've got to find what God's called us to do and do it and not think that we've got to get rid of this sort of secular, sacred, uh -huh. false dichotomy. Right. Right? Yeah. And if, if we walk away, wash our hands of it and say, it's too dirty for me, uh, there's a void there. And whenever there's a void, something's going to fill it. Yeah, so absolutely. if if we don't allow ourselves to be led of the Spirit and to act on it, yeah. and to do what He's telling us to do, then we're going to miss opportunities where, where the evil is going to come in and yeah. it's going to fill that void. Uh, so when we traveled uh, to different, on different delegation missions, um, some of the things that was heartbreaking to hear uh, from leaders in other countries was, uh, we want to do trade with you, you know, we want to have a good relationship with America, but please stop exporting your morals. Mm. 
And that was heartbreaking to us. We knew exactly what they were talking about mm -hmm. because we were worried about it too. Now, I am just thrilled to see so many good quality, excellent level Christian movies being produced. Mm -hmm. Wow, I mean, they're, they're getting better and better and better. And I think that's where we're starting to reclaim uh, the fine arts and the, the uh, entertainment industry for uh, using it for good, yeah. uh, doing it for good. So, and you know, I'm, I'm passionate about the live stage uh, space as well. I think we need good content there as well. Uh, content that's going to uplift us, that's going to uh, help us enjoy ourselves, but also it remind us of truth. Not going to rewrite history. Exactly. As well. That's going to preserve right, like history. Hamilton or whatever that was. <laughs> I tell you, it's it's scary the way they're very. It's very uh, subtle in the way they redo things. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is. Well, um, I want you to tell uh, people, Christy, how they can get a hold of your book. Oh yes. Uh, so I have a website. Okay. Um, it's books by Christy. That's C H R I S T Y dot org. So Are you books speaking by, by faith? Books. <laughs> that is, You're calling those things that be not as they. Yeah, that's great. Booksbychristy.org. Okay, right, can yeah. we put that website up for everybody? And then uh, I don't know if we have an image of the cover of it or not, but that would be great as well. Well, folks, you're watching the Truth and Liberty uh, live call-in show, and uh, my guests today are former Congressman Marlon Stutzman and his amazing wife Christy, and we've just been talking about all sorts of stuff. Most of it's not even in my notes here, <laughs> but if you want to be a part of today. Show you can do that by calling in the number 719-619-2341. We would love to hear from you. And uh, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about the issues that we're facing today in America, uh, Marlon, a little bit more specifically. And I, you know, one issue that's on I think a lot of people's minds right now, growing number of people, even Democrats are coming around on this issue, which is shocking, is the, the subject of immigration, um, illegal immigration, really. Yeah. And, and what it's doing to our country. We've now had, um, you know, three years of basically an open border. Yeah. Uh, you know, Donald Trump did a good amount to enforce our border security, but even his, he was stymied by um, the deep state and yeah. by activist judges. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what you think about this situation. Is it really that hard to solve? No, I don't believe it is. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, people, how, how controversial the border has become. And, and I, th I think that's what, um, why Donald Trump was able to tap into that, because the average American across the country sees an open border and people pouring across uh, the border into America. And, you know, there's, there's people that are genuinely wanting to come to America. There are people that are dying to come to America they because of the opportunity that's here. I, I've talked to those people. I know there's people that would, you know, they want to be here because this is the land of opportunity and freedom. Um, my, uh, my opinion and my, uh, the way I have always described the border is that we should have a high wall and a wide gate and, and to control those who are coming in. You know, we have systems, you know, that we build, whether it's for driver's licenses, whether it's for Medicare and Medicaid programs, there's fraud and abuse in those programs. They can be definitely abused, but, um, you know, we should be able to control our border. And, uh, and I find it interesting and ironic, you know, there, uh, the World Economic Forum just met in Davos, Switzerland, and you had all of these elitist, you know, uh, meet there, and they they are supporting uh, open borders in America. That maybe not necessarily in other, you know, particular countries. Germany is actually having the people are are you know now 
standing up and saying we have to have borders because their country has changed dramatically after what happened in the Middle East and a lot of the refugees moving up mm -hmm. into Germany and mm -hmm. And um, but I, I think that uh, we have to have a border. We have to control it. I think President Trump is the has shown that you know there is a leader out there willing to stand up and talk about it. Uh, I think more and more people are coming on board. But one of the things you know that we see is that it, it affects people are afraid when you have. Uh, we don't know who necessarily is coming across the border, but let's just say, you know, it's it's from all across the world. Uh, it's going to change the dynamics of America. It's going to affect our jobs. It's going to affect the education systems. It's going to affect the healthcare systems. It's not that we're not a welcoming country. We're a very giving. We're the most giving country in the world. Yes, always have been. Uh, yeah, and and so it's not that we're saying we don't want anybody to come to America. Back to the whole Christian nationalist, you know, terminology. We do, but you can't take advantage of us. You know, and one of the things I was sharing this with Christy this last week is, you know, I like the term servant leadership, but when the people take advantage of servant leadership and nobody puts their foot down and they just continue to take and take and take, uh, it, it's going to crumble the entire system. And I think that's what people are concerned about. Then on top of that, inflation has driven the cost of groceries, the cost of gasoline well, and energy. Before costs. we get into inflation, this border thing, I mean, uh, the fiscal year 2023 saw 2.2 million illegals cross the border. Yeah. Um, there was a report uh, toward the end of the year that showed that thousands and thousands, I think tens of thousands of people have crossed illegally from countries that are on the terror watch list, yeah. countries that sponsor, no, actively yeah. sponsor terrorist networks mm -hmm. and we are not paying attention to this and and at this point we've got even liberal hard blue cities um, uh, are, are begging for relief as they're being overwhelmed by the sheer numbers Denver itself uh, right here in Colorado Denver Colorado of all places is is the hospital system is basically breaking there we read last week they can't handle it so um, you know my question is this and I I, I don't like to to mince words and play games. I want to call things for what they are. It looks to me like this is intentional on the part of, Absolutely. of, of uh, Joe Biden, mm -hmm. uh, Mayorkas, his uh, you know, Secretary of Health and Human Services or whatever his department is, and the liberal elite. And, and they wouldn't be doing this unless they had a reason for it. Yeah. Uh, Marlon, what do you think is really going on? Here? Yeah, no, I, I do. I think this is a, a scheme by the liberal elite, not only in America, but other parts of the world. Uh, they want to weaken America. They want to, um, you know, make us mediocre. And you look at what America has given to the world back to, you know, kind of our fundamental foundation and the roots that we have of freedom and liberty. Uh, you know, all of the technology that's been created in America, the, you know, what America has produced and given is incredible. And, uh, but other countries are, are taking advantage of our southern border and by infiltrating, whether it's drugs, human trafficking, whether it's um, terrorists, whether, I mean, I do believe that we will have some sort of terrorist attack on American soil. Again, I hope it's, I hope we stop it, but you know, we are being negligent and willfully negligent. This administration has done that. And I think that uh, that's why Americans are feeling unsafe. And when we feel unsafe as, as humans, then 
that's usually our top, okay, what do I have to do to make sure I feel safe? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also there is a political motivation behind it too. Yeah. They're wanting to get votes. Yeah, right. uh, they think that they are buying votes by doing this, um, buying goodwill with people who are coming here you know, with their hand out. Uh, so there's a, there's a definite agenda there. Um, and I think also they're trying to create chaos. Um, one thing I've noticed as I've done, done my study mm -hmm. for the book is that uh, this humanist Marxist mentality, uh, the fool hath said in his heart, no, there is no God, right? Mm -hmm. So once you get rid of God, then you are getting rid of, you're also trying to get rid of any type of authoritarian structure. And that includes the family structure, that includes government, that includes mm -hmm. law enforcement. <clears throat> Anything that smacks of authoritarianism is a limit to your quote unquote freedoms. They don't see it as the freedom to self-govern. They see it as the freedom of to be, uh, to go actually have anarchy of the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing that in our young people, There's in, in our cities, there's an anarchy, there's a, there's a sense of no order and chaos, and that chaos creates an opportunity for dictatorial uh, you know, efforts to start well, and happening. Who, who gets hurt in anarchy and chaos? It's not the strong, no. right? It's no. the weak and the vulnerable. That's right, right? Yes, the vulnerable. And yeah, yeah. Those, those who we are supposed to protect are the ones who get, get hurt. And you look at our, the cities in America now, San Francisco and Chicago and it's New York, um, you know, St. Louis and many others, Baltimore, and it's just rampant crime, mm -hmm. drug abuse, um, trafficking, human trafficking, um, and all kinds of stuff like this. How much longer can we, can yeah. we tolerate? This? I really believe that you know, the left and others have taken advantage of America's generosity. Uh, for many years now, and and that's where, I think that's why Trump has risen up is because, you know, those of us who are tired of being taken advantage of, I'm happy to give. We give a lot to our community. We give a lot to those in need in our community. Um, but when it's somebody else in Washington D.C. saying you have to give more because and they're using it for their own political purposes. Mm -hmm. We're all fit, we're tired of that. Yeah, yeah, I think they're also trying to guilt trip, you know, America and also, you know, they're 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 erasing our foundation. They're yeah. erasing our history. Well, so this, we don't know who we are. That's what, uh, so you probably heard about replacement theory and mm -hmm. it's not a theory anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. they're doing it and right. it's to replace I think the basic uh, American culture yeah with foreign culture that doesn't have the, the rooted in the Judeo-Christian ethic and the understanding of who we are as Americans, as a nation, and the commitment to those values. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bringing in people from Muslim, that, that are raised in a Muslim culture, a totalitarian culture, people that are raised in socialist communist nations like Venezuela and other places like that, or corrupt nations, you know, banana republics, and, and all of these other kinds of places, people that don't have that ethos. So what is gonna happen to the American culture of freedom and liberty under God? You yeah. know, it's going to uh, disintegrate if we don't put a I'll stop to it. That's my soapbox. <laughs> I'm not the guest. You guys are the You're guest. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, they're, they're, they have been dividing us. Yes, it, that's It's a very too. divisive narrative right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think one thing that we have to stand strong on is we have to stand strong on who we are and who God called us to be as a nation yeah. and be confident in that, be yeah, bold absolutely. in that. Um, We've got to rebuild unify that. people. And, and, you know, the Bible brings people together. It brings people from all walks of life. It's the most diverse you know, collection of humanity in the world. So you know, we have to rely on that and be confident in it That's and don't right. allow them to, to uh, divide us. Yeah, well, we're up against our, our second break now. So we're going to take about 90 seconds, folks, and share some uh, helpful information with you. And we'll be right back after that uh, with our special guests.
Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. But just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with ARMY, and fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through ARMY. Uh, there's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. Ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an ARMY member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Okay, well, we're back now on Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. I'm Richard Harris, and my special guests today are former Congressman uh, Marlon Stutzman and Christy, uh, his wife. Uh, Christy is an author and a playwright, and they are successful business owners, farmers, and Marlon is running for Congress again in the 3rd District of Indiana. Um, Marlon, I want to give you an opportunity before we go much further in the program to share with folks how they can learn more about what you stand for. And I mean, they've already heard a lot, yeah. but where can they go to learn more? Yeah, they can go to our website, gomarlin.com, and uh, you can um, sign up for our emails, sign up for our updates, uh, and uh, we have our, our platform is there and, you know, is really built around the values of Northeast Indiana, which, uh, uh, you know, it's such a wonderful community there. You know, we're kind of nestled between Lake Erie and Lake Michigan. It's a, a farming community. It's manufacturing. Uh, you mentioned the medical company that we're, there's a large orthopedic hub there, uh, which uh, I got to be a part of a company there. Uh, but the people um, in Northeast Indiana are, are just hardworking, faith-based, God-fearing. Um, they love America. And uh, that's one of the things that I enjoy as I travel around the district and, and talk with people. And they really truly are concerned about where America's going. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we don't find the problems maybe, you know, in rural America, but you get to the big cities. And that was one of the things that George Washington was very concerned about yeah. was that the big cities uh, would uh, would ruin the country. His farewell address, I think, is one of the oh. most important um, speeches and, and documents so that right. people should familiarize themselves with. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I, those are sort of the things that motivate me and, um, and motivate Christy to be involved. And God's given us the opportunity we always trust that uh, if he uh, he wants us there, the um, those you know the, the campaign will go the the way that uh, he wants it to. And if he doesn't, we're happy to be serving him in other capacities because uh, we've we've got a lot of things that we're excited to be a part of and uh, making things better in our own community. Right. And so the current uh, office holder there is Representative Banks, right? Yeah, Jim Banks. Jim Banks. Yep. And and he's. Uh, 
uh, stepping aside to run for United States Senate in Indiana. Yeah, we have this domino effect uh, <laughs> in Indiana. So our governor is term limited, and so our current U.S. Senator, Mike Braun, is running for governor, and so he's stepping out of his U.S. Senate seat to run for governor. So Jim is running for the U.S. Senate seat, which opens up my old seat. And uh, uh, Jim has done a, a phenomenal job um, as just a strong Christian conservative in Washington, been very outspoken, um, understands the problems. And so uh, I know there's, um, he's, he's got a lot of momentum for the Senate race, but um, it's those same principles that seem to be uh, resonating across Indiana and I hope across America that we want leaders that are willing to go make hard choices. You know, we have $35 trillion of debt that uh, yeah. just looms over our head and nobody talks about it. Uh, President, or uh, 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 Donald Trump was speaking about that the other day. Uh, we've got to start uh, understanding the threat that the debt is to our own economy and to our own country. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can't, uh, you can't talk about debt without talking about spending. Right? Yeah. <laughs> spending is why we're That's in debt. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I had um, Kevin uh, Freeman on my show last week, and we were talking about this subject, and it seems like that in America, in Congress, that we have normalized this idea of stimulus spending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You remember back in 2008, nine, in the, in the so-called financial crisis, yeah. then, oh, well, uh, Bush and Obama were both on board with, well, let's stimulate the economy, when what we really need to do was reset to a responsible level of spending right. and, and government interference. But no, instead, we, we uh, you know, the government basically acquires General Motors and Chryslers and spends trillions of dollars. And, and then along comes COVID in 2020, and we yeah. did that all over again, except on steroids. Mm. And then Joe Biden gets elected and we don't even have a crisis. <laughs> yeah. And he does this rescue America thing yeah. with, uh, you know, what is it, uh, 1.2 trillion in just spending. You yeah. know, it's just crazy. unbelievable. So what are we gonna do to stop this craziness? We have to elect people who are willing to be truthful. Uh, you know, and we have to, you know, we as, Americans have to be willing to um, to hear hard facts. Yeah, and and I think that if we just continue to think that you know we're looking through rose-colored glasses that everything is fine, it's not. I, I mean, I know we we do spend a lot of money on our military. We do have the strongest, most powerful military in the world, and I will always continue to support. Our, our military and make sure that that uh, is there to defend America because we know, you know, China is continuing to, to grow and wants to be, they want to have an impact on the world, um, you know, whether it's through their military or whether it's through other devices that we uh, suspect that they were a part of with COVID. I, I think the evidence is showing more and more that they were a part of that and through, uh, through, um, other other means they can attack America, and so I just hope that uh, people will, you know, say what can I do to give back to America rather than continue. We we can't be takers. I remember, you know, I had a front row view of Marlon when he first went to his first budget committee on Capitol Hill, and he was going to see the actual numbers for the first time, and I was excited to hear how it went. And when he came home. It was just like the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He was so, I think he was in shock. And I, I said, so how'd it go? And he goes, it's worse than I could ever, ever imagine. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't know what we have to do, but we have to do something. And I think every cause on Capitol Hill sounds good, 
uh, oh, you should give money to this and this and this and this. We have to have adults at the table to say, what is the government responsible to do? Yeah. To keep us safe, you know, to keep our roads safe. What I mean, those limitations that is that are on our federal government. Let's stick to that, and let's make sure and we do our job. I'll give you an example. You know, and I'm willing to start with one of the you know programs that I know, and that's farm subsidies, agricultural subsidies. You know, agriculture can. It's an exciting industry, and it's the largest industry in America. In fact, I was going to say this earlier that our exports, our number one export, is ag products. Our number two export is movies and music. Mm -hmm. So we can think about that in the context of what yes. are we exporting as Americans? That's terrible. <laughs> we're exporting a lot of food, but and then we're exporting Taylor Swift. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but um, you know. Does the farming community need those subsidies to survive? I would argue that we don't. Mm. Let the let the natural market work. Let supply and demand work. There, the, the American farmer and producer is the most productive in the world. Mm -hmm. And so let's have a conversation about that industry. Then let's talk about, you know, where where you know, healthcare. Healthcare is a mess and so much money goes into healthcare. You know, people yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say this, but I'm come, I've come to this conclusion that people think that we're not a socialist nation, but right. I think we have crossed that threshold. When you look at the national uh, budget and you look at what we spend, uh, a vast majority of the federal budget is devoted to social welfare programs. Mm -hmm. um, now, some of those are entitlement programs like Social Security and Medi Medicare, but uh, Medicaid and, uh, and I think there's you know 200 or more um, social welfare programs um, that we spend in, and you come in on defense spending, yeah, it's, it's, it's big, yeah. but as a percentage of the budget, it's yeah. only 17%. Right, right. Yeah. Only 17% is, is spent to defend this nation, mm -hmm. um, whereas we're giving out, you know, I think it's 60% uh, of our budget or more for social welfare. Mm -hmm. So is this the government that our founders intended? Our fourth largest yeah. expenditure is interest on our debt. Yeah. And so that, you know, and with interest rates going up, it's just going to continue to gobble up more of the of the budget. But no, I don't think that's what our founders intended. I, I truly believe in states' responsibilities and states' rights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if California wants to spend themselves into oblivion, well, that's their choice, but I don't think that it should be anybody in Colorado or in Indiana to bail their, them out. I mean, our next door neighbor is Illinois and they're a train wreck. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that's the importance and why the founding fathers saw us being states, individual states, is that we wouldn't have all of our eggs in one basket. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I, America, or the federal government, is has been irresponsible and, and it's both parties it's not just yeah, one party definitely has when yeah. it comes to spending um, uh, republicans have found uh their way into that uh, trap as well well you know Rand paul he's he's a budget uh hawk yeah. hawk and uh he his publication a few weeks back uh documented 900 billion oh. In waste, including support for like I think it was like three million dollars for Egyptian tourism. Okay. I mean, wow. what? Wow! Uh, <laughs> you know, what right does the government have to tax me mm -hmm. to pay for anything like that? Yeah, you know, it's crazy, and it, and I I just hope that you, when you get to Washington, that you'll be really aggressive on this. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Well, I enjoy finance. I enjoy budgets. 
you know, growing up on a farm, it's not easy to farm. You know, yeah. you don't know what you're going to have to spend, and so you have to make sure you live within your means. But, but I think it also goes back to the values of of our elected officials. Making decisions. It, yeah. They put their money where their values are, and, yes. and many of them, government is the answer. Right. When we we would argue the opposite, government's not the answer to all of our problems. Well, how can my government be the answer to Egyptian tourism? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, the senator from New Jersey can answer. <laughs> yeah, maybe my distinguished colleague from whoever, wherever. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of Republicans, uh, conservative members of, of the House right now are, are disappointed, to say the least, about the most recent temporary uh, spending measure that was backed by Speaker Johnson. Uh -huh. And we're big fans of Mike Johnson. Yeah. But what happened here? Is, is, are his hands tied? Why can't why can't we say no? I don't think his hands are tied. I think, you know, we've seen this with multiple speakers. And, you know, it is hard when you are one branch of, you know, this, of the three. You have, you know, of course, the White House has to sign off. The Senate has to sign off. And then the House of Representatives. I was there uh, when John Boehner was Speaker of the House. Of course, Barack Obama was the president. And then... Uh, Chuck Schumer was the Senate leader. And so, yes, there's times when you don't have the upper hand. But in this case here, um, I, and at some point, we have to say Republicans are not going to go along with this. At least, at least Republicans say that. Maybe the Democrats don't say that. But I think Republican leadership needs to step up and say, Sorry, we're not going along with this anymore. It is going to, you know, they all say, oh, well, if the government shuts down, it's going to be devastating. It's shut down how many times and so nothing has <laughs> bad has happened. Yeah. Now, can you comment on that, Marlon? Because the, they say shut down and then they never explain it. That actually critical services don't stop exactly. during these typical threatened shutdowns. But the average American doesn't understand that. The average American thinks, oh my gosh, I'm not yeah. going to get my Social Security check. Right. Uh, our Army and Navy are going to be in mothballs. I mean, what, what really happens in these shutdowns? Well, m most of the you know Washington employees, the, the government employees, don't go to work. Uh, I remember. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember under Obama, he would he literally put up uh, orange cones along GW Parkway because that's a federal highway, and any place that you would pull off to take pictures along GW Parkway and the Potomac River and stuff, they put up orange cones so nobody could pull off over that, and so they literally sent government employees out to put up orange cones so citizens of America couldn't pull off to the side to take a picture of the Potomac River. And it's just, they use it as political leverage again. Mm -hmm. And they try to, you know, and they all get paid. Everybody gets, they, they get their money. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like they are foregoing a paycheck. They, everybody, every government employee gets their paycheck. Um, and, uh, but I, I don't know how else to do it. And unfortunately, with the last debt ceiling fight, uh, they just decided to suspend the debt ceiling altogether. Mm -hmm. And so now it's, I don't know where that where it ends, mm -hmm. um, but we have to just have business type leadership that right. is willing, it, we're not gonna fix it overnight. We didn't get in the mess overnight. In fact, but I tell you this, when Ronald Reagan was president, we only had $1, billion, uh, $1 trillion worth of debt. Wow. Just when Ronald Reagan was mm -hmm. president. So everybody before that, 
stayed under the trillion dollar mark and now we're at the 35 trillion dollar mark and it's just out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to go to one of our callers who's waiting online now and uh, has an interesting question. Uh, Tim from Wisconsin is on the line and has a question. Uh, so Tim, if you can hear me, you are on the air, brother. Hi, Richard. Hi, uh, Marlon. Uh, I right away know, recognize your name, Stutzman, um, as being a Mennonite name because I grew up Mennonite. I know a lot of Stutzmans are Mennonite. <laughs> but my question is, um, obviously, the you know as well as I do that the Mennonite and Amish Anabaptist background people really, a lot of them, or most of them, really shy away from any involvement in politics at all and you know, use arguments like, you know, Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, therefore, we shouldn't get involved in politics or fight or join the army or carry a gun for self-defense or any of that stuff, you know. Um, and I, I grew up Mennonite, left the Mennonites. My parents left the Mennonites when I was 16, and I right away started listening to Christian radio and started hearing guys like Bill Federer and David Barton. I mean, hmm. Richard, I heard of David Barton and Bill Federer way before I ever heard of Andrew. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so my question is, how, how do you engage people like that that, that – have strong conservative Christian values and yet refuse to touch anything cultural, political with a 10-foot pole. Another yeah. quick thing that I've noticed over the over my 46 years of life is that a lot of people that do end up leaving the Mennonite, you know, Anabaptist background, you know, the pendulum effect of swinging way to the other extreme is they often become liberals. And, I mean, that irritates the fire out of me. You know, the <laughs> that I have that would have grown up conservative and they leave their conservative and run to some way at their extreme or worse yet, deny God altogether. Yeah, yeah, hmm. which would be very unfortunate. But yeah, I went wild and I married a Baptist girl. And so, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> but, but no, you, you're exactly right. And I've seen that, you know, in my own experience. Um, we actually have a lot of good conversations with the Amish uh, bishops and the Amish leadership in, uh, in Northeast Indiana. And we explained to them that they really could run presidential politics. The Amish community could almost run presidential politics because of the large uh, Amish Mennonite community in Pennsylvania, uh, which is a swing state. Ohio, which is now trending more Republican. Indiana Wisconsin. is a strong uh, Republican state. But Wisconsin mm -hmm. and Michigan are also two other states that have large Amish communities. Uh, we tried to explain to them the, you know, the importance of being involved. Uh, but uh, they're, you know, they're just very um, tied to their traditional roots, and mm -hmm. they do want to live that quiet and peaceable life. Uh, but uh, as as we were talking at lunch today, you know, my my family came from Switzerland, um, was persecuted, and came to America because uh, of religious freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, Where do we go from here? Um, yeah. I'll, I'll share with you uh, a, a, an answer as well, and that is um, my book is written to people of faith. Uh, it's non-denominational. It's, it's, uh, it's nonpartisan. Um, so you could very easily hand it to them and say, just why don't you read this and see what you think. And it just kind of goes through uh, uh, our whole Judeo-Christian founding and uh, how we got here and why we need to be involved. And it's, it's kindly presented, but I think it might be an, an answer for them. Yeah, big question, Tim. And I, I'll just say it's not just the uh, Mennonites and the Amish. It's a lot of evangelicals, yeah, too. That's true. Uh, and, and many, many Christians uh, feel that way. Um, Andrew gets complaints uh, quite often uh, about his 
stances that he's taking and people will say, you should stay out of politics, I don't want to hear it. But, um, but it's being salt and it's being light and um, we have to uh, preach the word to our brothers and sisters who don't understand this. Um, and I don't know how much farther we can go before their eyes will open and say, uh-oh, we can't do this anymore. We're going to lose the freedom to preach the gospel. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the end result. Well, one of the stories, Tim, that I share with my Mennonite friends about serving in the military is that Christ actually talks to one of the soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he asked them, asked Christ, what should I do? And Christ tells him, you continue to do what you're doing, to obey your commanding mm -hmm. officers. And so at, at that point, you know, if Christ wanted to set a precedent, he would have said, you need to, well, no, he didn't tell him to, to leave the military. He right. told him to obey his commanding officers. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, you're right. It's not just in the Mennonite and, and Amish community. It's, there's in other places. And I think, you know, most of us, we do like, Tranquility. We like right. quiet. We like peace, and uh, politics doesn't bring that. But it, the alternative is uh, we are then under a dictator, um, a, a monarchy, or some sort of ruler that is going to control every facet of our life. Yeah, you know. I mean, if we if we um, if we think that we can have peace and tranquility without fighting for it, yeah. we're deluded, right? That's right. Yeah. Freedom isn't I, free. Yeah. I, like, I like the peace through strength phrase. Right. So. That's right. Yeah. And the other thing, too, we got to remind ourselves is I think it's time to kind of chuck grandma's role of no religion or politics at the table because we don't talk about uh, to our kids. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is going to. Yes. So absolutely. we really need to have those conversations and we need to be armed with information. So when our kids push back and question us, we have the answers. Our kids are learning off of TikTok. They're right. learning off of social media. <laughs> so let's Instagram. It's yeah. important for families. To well, talk that that goes back to what you're saying. We don't live on an island, right? You right. can't. If if you pull the truth out, then darkness will fill it in. Exactly. You know, the lies will fill it in. They will come to form beliefs about things from other sources. And mm -hmm. so we have to. It's part of discipling our children. Part of discipling our nation is to take a stand. So. Well, and the left did such a good job of using the the, the term separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. To scare. Uh, churchgoers yeah. and, and Christians to stay, oh, well, we can't have uh, any sort of mingling. And, you know, we both know that, uh, you know, that has actually changed through policy. We are actually getting more faith-based programs yeah. that are being funded through mm -hmm. government, school choice, things like that. But I think that that was one term and one scenario that they really used to drive Christians out of, of involvement. Well, yeah, the founders actually made the one assumption, and that was that people of faith would always be involved. Yeah. And I think they made the assumption for two reasons. First of all, that uh, people of faith would do it out of self-preservation, like they would want to preserve those freedoms for the next generation and for themselves, but also because they knew if people of faith were not involved, this government wasn't going to work. Right. So there were that was one assumption that they made, but people of faith would always be involved. Well, I think it was John Adams who said that the Constitution was written for a moral and a religious people that's wholly inadequate to the governance of any, any other. other. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's right. A free nation, uh, if if the Christians pull out, then it's left to the immoral and those who don't know God or respect His standards. And how are they going to govern themselves? Right. They will become tyrants. That's right. It's inevitable, and, and our founders knew that. Well, let's go to another caller, uh, Sandy from the great state of Colorado. Uh, Sandy, you are on the air. What's your question today? Hi, y'all. Um, I my question is, um, according to the Fourteenth Amendment, Section Four, it says the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payments of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, 
shall not be questioned. So if that is now part of our Constitution because it's in the amendment, how are we supposed to approach and address our national debt? It there says it shall not be questioned according to the rule of law in the United States. Oh, are you running for office? <laughs> um, you know, Thomas Jefferson had two regrets with the Constitution and that there wasn't a balanced budget amendment and dealing with debt more clearly. And, and I think that there's, there's seem, I, I would say that there's no ambiguity with that, but I, it, it's amazing to me how politicians get to Washington or state legislatures and when no one's challenging them, uh, and that's, that's why we do have to be engaged and involved is just because it's the law, it doesn't mean that that's actually what happens because they will go around the law until somebody questions it or challenges it yep. and forces the issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we see that many times with deep state. I mean, they, they do what they want um, until they're actually caught. Yep. And so we have to have people who are willing to s stand up and speak up for those principles. And I don't know, there's days that you just, I'm not sure if anybody understands that in, in Washington, unfortunately, because their agenda is more about, you know, pet projects or, you know, programs or, I don't know. I don't know sometimes what motivates other members of Congress. Um, well, you know, I, I would say, Sandy, on your, I'm not sure I didn't ahead, catch yes. up. Did you have a comment? On the 14th Amendment, That I think that's a clause. It's a post-Civil War Amendment, and the clause was inserted there to, um, prevent states from saying we're not going to be a part because you have borrowed money national government or what we you know that with the money the government borrowed to do whatever is illegitimate so we don't have to be a part of the union anymore i'm not sure of all the historical uh, things that go into that but certainly once the debt is incurred by the federal government it's there and we owe it right but that doesn't mean that we can't debate whether it was smart to do it right and it doesn't mean we can't debate whether we should borrow money borrow more money or keep spending at irresponsible levels so yeah. that's yeah. i know it doesn't solvency it's you know that's got to be debated well we borrowed money during the revolutionary <clears throat> war yeah and and so and i think that but the the principle that most of our founding fathers would have operated on is that you borrow money in times of war and then you pay it back. Yep. And unfortunately, that, that concept <laughs> is long gone. Yeah, paying it back is like it's at, not even at uh, 35 trillion, it's almost inconceivable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, all right, Sandy, thank you for your question. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, um, Marlon Christie, and talk about um, sort of our woke culture that we have today. Um, you know, I think most of us didn't even know what woke was right. until about four, five, six years ago, and yeah. we start hearing this, what? Woke, your grammar is bad. You know? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it's called yeah. awake. Right. But no, woke. Um, and But now we see, you know, um, these Marxist causes, these radical LGBT causes mm -hmm. uh, mixed in with, um, it, you know, they, they masquerade as civil rights when really it's racism in reverse, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just being taught in our schools, it's in, the, it's in the media, it's everywhere. Let's take transgenderism, for example. 
um, you know, with uh, um, biological men playing in girls' sports, just over the weekend, a biological male won a, a, a it wasn't the LPGA, but it qualified him, and I'm going to uh -huh. say him, yeah. to play in the LPGA, and he defeated a bunch of women golfers. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, how, this just strikes me as insane. I have a compassion over these individuals. I really do. But, but this is so unfair mm -hmm. to the women competitors. Yeah. And that's just one example. We've got our kids being indoctrinated and recruited into LGBT lifestyle right. in schools. Yeah. Aggressively. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. Do you, what is your response to this or your reaction? What do we need to do as a country? Well, you know, as I was doing my study uh, for my book, it was it was fascinating to me to realize how far back this goes. First mm. of all, um, the word transhuman was actually used uh, by the critical theory elitists uh, when they yes when they first started coming here. Their goal was to evolve to be you know transhuman was the was the word, and so. Um, I just saw a clip in a, in a great documentary that was just made by Mark and Ambie, Amber Archer uh, from Fort Wayne uh, about this whole thing. And uh, the, the clip is a, an English uh, TV show that shows a young teenage girl telling her parents that she is trans. And they're trying to be understanding with her and everything. And then she puts them straight and she says, no, I don't want to be transgender. I want to be transhuman. I want to give my brain to science and become of the digital world and I want to live forever. The, and then they're, the, the bottom line was they, they asked her, well, you mean you want to kill yourself? So when you think about the biblical principles of, you know, um, how God loves each individual and every life is precious and how the, the, the Satan himself wants to destroy mm. any human life he can. Yes. That is the crowning act of God's creation. Mm -hmm. So he is constantly trying to destroy it. Well, there are multiple ways he's trying to do it. And when you look at this woke culture, it goes back to that, you know, Psalm where it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Mm. Once they decide that, then they feel like they are God and they're going to evolve past the limitations of their own bodies. Mm -hmm. And that's when you see the sexual revolution uh, in America, where women were encouraged uh, to do abortions yeah. and to be, become like men, right? Yeah. So there was no consequences. Um, and it is all connected to this mentality of humanism. Well, I hate to cut you off, Christy. We've got uh, less than two minutes left. I'd like to put up again on the screen how people can get a copy of your book. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. And just with about 50 seconds, Marlon, what is what are you going to do as a member of Congress uh, on this whole wokeism? What can be done? Yeah. Again, Again, it's, I believe it's empowering parents. It's em empowering the church. It's mm -hmm. making sure that we are not letting government officials or uh, even, you know, teachers. I mean, there's certain uh, educational administrators who are trying to make decisions. I mean, even in Northeast Indiana, we're having fights in our own mm -hmm. schools. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be accountability, but access for parents. And this is, again, where, you know, it's not just you know, the issues of spiritual um, issues, but it's also the educational issues. They're spiritual yeah. issues, yeah. bottom line. Right. And, you know, people want to push God out of our lives entirely. And so anything that empowers the parents, empowers the individual is, uh, is what I'm going to fight for. And then also call out to those who are trying to take away our freedoms 
and pushing this agenda. Well, uh, that's awesome, and it's been such a joy to have you guys on the program today, Thank and you. to Great meet to you, here. and have you out here at the ministry headquarters yeah, and everything beautiful. else. Beautiful, so, beautiful. Really, so so thankful for it. I hope you, everyone has enjoyed the program. Um, I wanted to remind you about Flashpoint coming up on February 8th and 9th here on the campus of Karis Bible College. Uh, it's going to be a great event and I uh, hope you can make it out. Also, Andrew's going to be speaking at uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson's church, the Stand Church, the Called Church in Chesapeake. Be sure to make that event. And tune in tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. Mountain Time for the next uh, episode of the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. Alex McFarland will be hosting, so you won't want to miss it. Thank you so much. God bless you all for watching, and we'll see you again next time here on Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.